Espírito. Well, good morning, friends, family, family. Um, I'm so glad to be back with you today. I've been out for a few weeks uh, doing some military duty. And of course, my more than capable co-pastors uh, hold everything together. I'm very fortunate and grateful to be working alongside them. Um, and I'm grateful to be back alongside you all this morning. We have been talking about bodies for the past few weeks in this sermon series named Embodiment. And this seems like a really important topic, given that we live in a time where direct and indirect violence against bodies is the issue of our day. It always has been, of course, but right now the public consciousness is focused on direct and indirect violence against bodies in ways that it hasn't been in my lifetime, or at least ways that I haven't been aware of, probably truly due to privileges that I have. But I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, even though it's unsettling, I'm very grateful that we have such a public conscious focus on violence against uh, bodies right now. Um, it can be really hard to keep bodies, to keep the body central in our discourse. But that's what's always being discussed. Often political party or personal or political ideology or some disembodied religious commitments or anti-body biases or commitment to certain economic beliefs. All these, all these thinking intellectual things, they crowd out the body as our main consideration. In fact, our commitments to beliefs over bodies, which is often what we, what we do, uh, it's one of the most tragic things that humans do. And Christians are not exempt from this. So I chose uh, this text that Zachariah read for us. I chose it for this morning as we continue to think about bodies. Our text from the Gospel of Matthew that he read, it has two main characters in it. It has, if you recall, John the Baptist, uh, with a lowercase b, by the way, not an uppercase b. Uh, character number one, character number two, really, is Jesus. John is in prison. He's been placed there by civil authorities for protesting. Uh, his protests were just a little too true. Uh, they hit a little bit too close to home, and so the civil authorities put him in jail, and that's where he's writing to Jesus from. John doesn't know it, but he's actually on death row. And uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't read ahead, you, you've had plenty of time, but spoiler alert, in a few chapters, um, he is going to be beheaded. Aurelia says someone needs to quit texting me. That's true, people are doing that. Do I look distracted? Anyways, uh, so John's going to be beheaded soon. But anyways, while in prison, John's followers keep bringing him this news of how Jesus is teaching and doing these miracles and, and getting into social media spats with religious leaders because his application of their holy book was too radical for them. Uh, religious people take note. And the differences between the two men's situations really is stark. Here we have John in prison, and he's eating only if people bring him food, which his disciples were doing, I guess. And then on the other hand, uh, we have Jesus, who is multiplying loaves 
and fish and then having leftovers for people. And so, and so John sends him this letter. Maybe you've read these words a thousand times, but think about them kind of fresh today. John writes Jesus this letter or a message through his disciples. And he says, dear cousin, are you the Messiah or should we look elsewhere? Faithfully yours, John. Now, if John's anger interpreter, remember President Obama had an anger interpreter. If John's anger interpreter had been there, he might have said it this way. Hey, I know you see me stuck over here, right? I know you're out there busy casting demons out of people. Maybe you can cast me out of this prison any minute now. I heard you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan in the desert, Jesus. Well, his vacation in Marfa is over now, and he's back on duty here guarding me. Maybe you can come and finish what you started. Remember, Jesus, who baptized who? Sincerely, Johnny B. from prison. And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer John's question directly. John's question Am I the Messiah? Am I the one who is birthing and expanding God's family here on earth? You decide, Jesus says. He says, look around. Look around at what's happening. Bodies are being put back together. Eyes and ears are being opened. Spines are straightening. Legs are are being strengthened. The untouchables are being welcomed back into society. The dead, the dead that we had given up all hope for, they are being given back to us alive. And the poor, even the poor, are being filled with hope that God has placed them and their impoverished, otherwise disposable bodies at the center of all this. You tell me, John, if I am bringing God's king, kingdom, God's family here to earth. Dare I say, we hear the voice of God in this. Thanks be to God. Now, there are a few things going on here that I just, I want to unpack. Uh, first, Jesus is quoting scripture back to John. Not a bad practice. Uh, but he's pulling together several parts of the prophet Isaiah, some of which Tiffany just read for us, and a few other parts, and he strings it all together. And unfortunately, for, for John at least, if you notice, Jesus leaves out the part about captives getting set free, which <laughs> must have been a glaring omission to John. I'm sure John said to his disciples, like, go on, there, there's more. There's more about captives getting set free, right? And, and they're like, uh, well... I'm sorry, John, that's all he said. Uh, but mostly Jesus is demonstrating how he is fulfilling these promises of the legendary prophet Isaiah. That's number one. Number two, and this is where I really want to focus the remaining minutes that I have here. Jesus says, the only evidence I'm going to give you that God is at work and that God is here is the health of the body's around me. Look around. You see healthy, whole, resurrected bodies. This is how you know that God is here. This is how you know that God is at work. This is my evidence. The basis, the very basis for Jesus' theology 
and the fulfillment of messianic prophecy, the entire defense of his ministry rests only on this, the health of the impoverished peasant bodies around him. Jesus here is not doing some kind of top-down, overly intellectualized theology that I learned in seminary and others have learned wherever else. You know, he's doing this body up theology. He is building his theology and his life philosophy and everything on, on the restored health of broken, exploited, abused, commodified bodies. And Christians, I would say, rarely follow this lead, this pattern that he set out for us. See, we have a long, long, long history of disembodied theology. We have a long history of placing beliefs ahead of bodies. In the earliest years of Christianity, literally when the words of the New Testament are still being written down and recorded and compiled into a book, there were different anti-body groups that arose claiming Christianity for themselves. Some of these were known as the Gnostics, the G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they were super focused really on having the right beliefs and having special knowledge. And they said that bodies are bad, bodies are evil, and the more you can detach from your body, the better. This was a very significant move within early Christianity. And they would say the ideas espoused by the Apostle Paul about the badness of his flesh, like in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, about, about beating his body and making it his slave, or in Romans 7, about how where he says, there's nothing good in this, in this flesh of mine. They would take that literally, uh, and they would say, see, the body's bad. Bodies are bad. We got we to gotta get away from our bodies. Um, they didn't understand that the Apostle Paul is talking about that self-centered ego that we all have that wants to have unlimited cosmic power. And they would take that literally. And some of them said that bodies are so bad that Jesus didn't even really have a body. He just appeared to have a body. He just appeared to need food and need sleep. And this was a significant part uh, of this growing Christian movement. But there were other Christians that battled back against that and said, no, 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 the body is central in the Christian faith. In fact, if you read the book of 1 John, one of those small, easy ones toward the end of your Bible, right before Revelation, you'll read, he begins it and he says, I'm talking about that Jesus that I touched with my hands. I saw him with my eyes. I put my hands on his body. Jesus had a body. In that book, John is battling against these groups that would say the body doesn't matter or Jesus didn't really have a body. Now, I wish I could tell you that those early beliefs that the Gnostics held died with history, but they haven't. They continue so much in Christianity today. Like those early Gnostics, so much of Christianity today, it's mostly concerned with the integrity of beliefs, not the integrity of bodies. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. So much of Christianity today, it practices a disembodied thinking religion, which of course makes us more of a philosophy than an applied spirituality, which is policies and practices that impact bodies like immigration, like harmful diet culture, like 
racism like an epidemic of unaccountable violence toward black and brown bodies like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain. We talk about these things because we are trying to practice an embodied faith. We do not just focus on beliefs. We focus on bodies. It's how we understand Jesus. This is how we understand Jesus. He was supremely concerned about vulnerable bodies, like the body of that woman about to get summarily executed by a mob because of their religious ideology, and Jesus steps in and says, whoa, whoever is without sin, you can throw the first stone. Jesus is supremely concerned with healthy bodies because he himself had a body. This is the unique feature of classic Christian theology. Nothing could be more Christian than to make this the unique feature. Am I right? The fullness of God contained in a physical body. We call that the incarnation. And then after the religious leaders and the state, they collude together to murder that body of Jesus. God resurrects it, scars and all. God literally resurrects the physical, literal body. The heart of Christianity has everything to do with the enlivening of bodies, particularly bodies that are vulnerable, neglected, and exploited. Christianity is not first a set of beliefs. Jesus did not inaugurate the society for right thinkers. That was, that's not what Christianity is about. He birthed the family of God on earth whose purpose was to embody God's love and justice and wholeness in our bodies and in all of our social and political structures that impact our bodies. Yet for some reason throughout history, we've, replete, we've repeatedly placed beliefs over bodies. Like in the 19th and early 20th century, there was a Christian pastor named Walter Rauschenbusch. He's kind of one of my heroes. He was a hero of others throughout history, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., for example. But he was a pastor in Hell's Kitchen, New York, where his church was surrounded by a community in terrible poverty where bodies were suffering. Imagine early industrial urban America. There's exploitative child labor. There are factory injuries. There's abject poverty. People are suffering. Bodies are considered disposable. And Rauschenbusch, he soon began to realize that his piety and his theology, they mean nothing if they are divorced from the health of the bodies around him. So he began to implement social programs to care for the people of that community, and he fought to change social systems and processes that led to injured bodies. And his critics, most of whom, right, this is good stuff, right? We would agree this is good stuff. However, there was such a vocal criticism of him coming from religion, coming from fellow Christians, because they said he mixes his faith with this world too much. What does Christianity have to do with capitalism, they would say? What does Christ have to do with qualified immunity? What does religion have to do with racism? He is mixing up these things, and he shouldn't be. He needs to keep his Christianity separate from this world. They wanted a disembodied religion. They wanted a religion of right beliefs, not resurrected bodies. And if you asked them, they would have said, yes, yes, all bodies matter. But if you then try to apply your faith to help protect a specific group of bodies, if you tried to say like, do child labor bodies matter? Do coal miners bodies matter? 
Do assembly line bodies matter? Do black bodies matter? If you try to move away from this abstract generalization toward a concrete, specific place where real life happens, if you try to talk about a specific group of bodies, well, they would say, now you've moved away from Christianity and you're talking about something else altogether, they would say. How, how dare Rauschenbusch say that Jesus would be concerned with the plight of the immigrant body? How dare he be so moved by the funerals of the children that he was leading, uh, these funerals that he was uh, doing, these children who died from factory accidents. How dare he, he work for policies to protect their little bodies? How dare he use his title and his position as pastor to advocate for the sick people in his community who were being discharged from the hospital prematurely because they couldn't pay? Uh, how dare he? This was a major overstep on his part, they would say. Christianity is supposed to be about getting people to heaven, not about bringing heaven to earth, they would say, which for me doesn't make sense because Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And religious and political leaders alike were so incredibly offended. Which brings me back to the words of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if you caught this part about what Zach said when he read our scripture to us. Uh, Jesus can be a little mysterious sometimes when he's trying to teach a lesson, but I can't help but notice this last part of his response to John. He says, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed. And then he says, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. I mean, what would be offensive about these things? What would be offensive about what Jesus is doing, putting bodies back together? What would be offensive about bodies that are protected and healed and put back together so that they can live full, beautiful lives? I mean, it could be that healthy, whole, energized bodies would be so incredibly disruptive to our current systems that people are going to get upset. It could be that these healthy, whole, energized bodies are going to disrupt the flow of disposable bodies and create both a supply and a demand shock for those who are profiting off of commodified bodies. And that's going to be offensive to some. It could be that Jesus knew that if they put John away in prison for merely criticizing a government official, what are they going to do to Jesus when he starts a movement for the filling of bellies and accessible health care and the protection of women? And he brings together this entire forgotten peasant class under this new movement he's calling the kingdom or the family of God. That's going to be offensive to some. It could be that when spines are healed, then people will begin to stand up straight and tall and shout with this embodied, full-throated critique of systems that, although they are legal, they're not just. Like in the Breonna Taylor case, where the only legal problem was that too few bullets hit their black targets. And highlighting all of this is incredibly offensive to some. Obviously, obviously, I hope it's clear these words of Jesus they're not just describing life 2,000 years ago. They are for today. And if you dare, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you dare embody your faith and challenge uh, these 
these systems around us like the oil industry or mountaintop removal, or you challenge corporate misbehavior, it's offensive. And you're going to be told, get back to your belief Christianity. I'm tired of your embodied Christianity. It's offending me. If you dare to advocate for pro-body and pro-life policies like increasing food stamps for the vulnerable and the hungry or calling for the end of qualified immunity or ending wars or ending the death penalty, well, then you're just an offensive fanatic. We should expect this, Jesus said. We should expect this. It's been said that crime, once exposed, it has no refuge but in audacity. <laughs> so once we expose all these things, they really have no refuge but to go, how dare you? And that's what's happening. People are going to get offended when we practice our embodied faith, when we put bodies at the center of our faith and say, let's build policies around that to create healthy, whole bodies, not just ideologies, not upholding some philosophies, not just towing some political line, but bodies at the center. That's what Jesus says to expect. That's not everyone. Some people are going to get offended. I'm sure you're experiencing this in your own life today. I certainly am. What we need to do, though, here's my encouragement, is turn down the volume on those voices that are offended so we can do our work, so we can hear other voices. Because there are so many other voices out there right now looking to Christians from their prisons, just like John. They're looking to Christians from forgotten, deindustrialized towns where drugs have replaced jobs. They're looking to Christians from the concrete down there with the knee on their neck. They're looking to Christians from neighborhoods devastated by the subprime mortgage crisis, the second reverse redlining that happened in our society while we stood idly by. They're looking to Christians from Amazon warehouse parking lots where they live in their cars. And they repeat to us that question of John. They're saying to us, is your Jesus the answer or should we look elsewhere? How will we answer that, Christians? Can we only point to our beliefs and say, have these right beliefs and one day you'll get to heaven? Or can we point to whole, healed, resurrected bodies and communities? That's what I want. That is what it would mean to be the people of Jesus. Let's work for that together. Amen.